0: This is a kick in the grass with Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Another draw in the Premier League. City taking firm hold atop the table. Messi's contract pays him all of the money. And yes, it is deadline day as we record right now. Plus, MLS is fighting over their labor negotiations again. It is Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair, a kick in the grass here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. What's going on, Jeff? Hey, how are you, Danny? I'm good. I'm good. It's um, Deadline day is always a, a super fun day, uh, especially I usually grab a stream of Sky Sports or BBC if I can. It is really different right now, and it's probably like it, it's definitely the quietest January transfer window I can remember.
0: Yeah, I think if you look around the... You know the Premier League in particular, you know Liverpool's clearly intent in addressing in some form their issues at at the back you know, largely created by Virgil Van Dyke's injury but it's pretty clear that they're not well no one's going to replace Virgil Van Dyke let's face it but you know they they've they've taken steps I think towards towards addressing that and it, it was interesting that <clears throat> on uh, the telecast of the uh, Liverpool uh, West Ham match this this weekend, there was a suggestion that perhaps Virgil Van Dyke will be able to play this year. Now, normally you'd look at that injury and go, there's no way that's going to happen. But as we have seen, given the advances in modern sports science, uh, it, you know, in, injuries that would in the past, you look at a guy and say, he's done for the year. Um, that's not the case anymore. Most of the teams that are doing anything, it just seems to be filling in around the edges. You know, you look around the Premier League, you know, Manchester United, there's not much they're going to do. Manchester City, I mean, you know, they seem to figuring out a way to win without having a, a striker. Chelsea's got too many players; that's apparent. And you know, a lot of the other clubs aren't necessarily expected to be, you know, to be big buyers. I think you'll see Southampton do some things. I think it's pretty clear that they may have run into a wall here, and they could use a little infusion, perhaps, on the flanks. But other than that, it's going to be really quiet. I think
1: it's definitely a sign of the times uh, you know, when, when Aston Villa is bringing over a player from uh, Liga is one of the biggest signings of the window. Uh, you know that, you know, the, the big clubs are, they're keeping their finances in mind. You have a lot of clubs reporting over a hundred million dollar losses uh, over the last year. So they are looking ahead and not knowing when they're going to have fans back in the stands. It's really taken effect on what this window has looked like. And you know it's pretty much the rosters that we've seen through the first half are those are the squads that are going to be battling it out for the premier league title and it looks like we're going to have a pretty good race uh, as now manchester city takes a firm hold to top the table after another bore draw between manchester united and uh, a team in a big match against arsenal i don't know if it's a big match anymore but uh, that's neither here nor there we'll uh We'll get to that a little bit later on. Closer on this side of the pond, uh, and we're going to talk to Stephen Goff, coming up, soccer insider at Washington Post, about the MLS labor negotiations <laughs> and uh, never-ending labor
0: negotiations.
1: Do Do you remember when we had Oso on in the summer and yes. Jonathan Osorio was was pretty vocal about uh, how that negotiation went? back then through the the height of of the pandemic and getting soccer back on the field uh, in MLS. I can't imagine how the players are feeling right now, just in uh, texting a few of them. They're, (laughs) they're really at a loss for how this is and how the owners keep going, bringing this back to the negotiating table, Jeff.
0: Well, and I see their point of view. Look, we thought when the pandemic hit that both the NHL and MLS you know, that seized an opportunity to find common ground and put together a CBA, you know, the NHL CBA. I mean, there are a lot of things about the NHL CBA that are going to have to be addressed at some point because of the money lost. But I think the idea that, hey, we're in this together. We come to an agreement. We try to finish whatever's left of our season, give our fans, give our sponsors, give our TV, you know, give our TV partners something to show like a lot of people, I thought this was something that was going to galvanize the players in the league because it wouldn't seem as if MLS would have a lot of really pressing financial issues, right? Like the pandemic has created a revenue loss. I get that. But this is a league that has kind of lived within its means. I think most of us can say that Mm -hmm. in the past decade, it's lived within its means. It's made some smart decisions. It's got some smart owners. It's not a fly-by-night league anymore. And I just assumed this was another sign of the, you know, the maturity of the league. But I feel for the players, man. You know, you sign an agreement, you negotiate an agreement, you know, you sign it, you'll live up to it. And I'm sure that ultimately there will be an agreement. Ultimately, MLS owners will get their way. Uh, but I, it really leaves, it really leaves a distaste in my mouth and probably in, in the mouths of a lot of fans too.
1: Yeah. And reading some of the the latest uh, reports on this, you know, it's not even about money in the short term. They're trying to take advantage of the long term against the players here. That's what they're fighting against. And Stephen Goff is going to share a little bit more on that coming up. You make a good point. I know we always talk about this when it comes to labor negotiations, Jeff, but can the league afford to go through a labor strike? And we always ask this question and it always turns out that, yeah, the league comes back stronger than ever. But I have to tell you, and maybe in Canada it's a little worse because the teams weren't playing at home at all outside of a few matches, but MLS felt more off the radar than usual last year. And I'm not sure the league can afford to have that continue if they go into any sort of long-term fight.
0: Yeah, I mean, perhaps, but you know, at least they got their season done. Yeah. Right? And he asked the CFL what it's like to not be on the radar, you know, on the radar screen at all. Look, maybe this is a product of something we're seeing in other leagues where owners are very quietly sort of suggesting or saying to players, you know, we really don't want a full schedule this year. We want to delay things as long as we possibly can in order to maximize the possibility of having games with fans in the stand. Because yes, while the vaccine rollout in the United States hasn't been great. I think there's a sense that with the new president in place, it's going to be a little more targeted. And it's probably going to work out in the long run. So maybe that's, you know, that's part of the end game here for owners. But there has to be a way, again, with all due respect to MLS, we're not talking about a $10 billion industry here. You know, it's, yeah. it's, we're not talking about the NFL or Major League Baseball or the NBA. There has to be a way for these sides square the circle and look I've covered a lot of labor stoppages at the end of the day it comes down to ownership at the end of the day ownership always has the hammer they can decide whether or not there are going to be games or whether or not there aren't going to be games that's just the way it is you know that a player strike in any sport isn't really a strike as much as it's a reflection of ownership pushing a strike on the players so you know, I think they'll come to an agreement, but at this point in time, it seems nonsensical. It seems like a needless distraction. Yeah. And I don't see how the league can kind of break any momentum that they
1: have. It's a really exciting product. A lot of really exciting foreign players and more and more exciting domestic players that are growing up through the league. It's just something you don't want to see it happen. And and I speak for the Whitecaps, especially uh, they need to get back on the field and they need to get back to playing at BC place. Cause They've really lost any kind of momentum here in the markets. Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair. Let's bring in our next guest. It is Stephen Goff from the Washington Post at Soccer Insider on Twitter. Thanks for this, Stephen. How are you? Hey, guys. Great to join you. Great to have you on. It's never fun to always be uh, getting in on these labor negotiations, but MLS (laughs) can't seem to avoid them these days. And uh, while we're We're looking at another deadline later this week on Thursday. Um, How would you describe this latest negotiation, knowing that the one over the summer, the players were already upset then? How tense is the relationship right now?
2: Yeah, I think it's quite tense. I think the players are a little demoralized. They're mad. Uh, They don't seem to trust the league. It's a rough situation. I mean, I think they understand the league is going through a difficult time financially because of the pandemic and the ramifications financially of uh, across all businesses. Uh, but at the same time, they feel like, uh, you know, they already made concessions last summer. Um, they're trying to reach a compromise in this current uh, standoff. And, um, yeah, I don't know how this is going to end up. and. If they are able to reach a deal, I still think there's going to be a lot of bad blood on the player side, which um, you know can be expected um, in all sports. Anytime you have a potential work stoppage in a CBA uh, negotiation, there's uh, you know there's there's some hard feelings left.
0: Stephen, I've covered about uh, four or five of these in Major League Baseball, mm-hmm. and you're right; they're often contentious. But generally, once an agreement is reached, it's reached, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody moves on. I mean, there, you know, obviously, last year with the pandemic, baseball had to open its CBA and change yep. a few things, and it was testy. But by and large, I don't think anybody thought, "Let's toss a grenade into the middle of the CBA." So, why three cracks at getting a CBA, even with a pandemic? It, it can't all be on the pandemic, is it?
2: Well, the first one last winter was at a necessity because the, the prior agreement was expiring, uh, so that was a scheduled um, negotiation. Uh, the one that came up in the summer needed to be reached because the you know the league was on hold and the games were on hold, and they had to um, they had to come to agreement on how they would um, go about playing a season during um, during a, a terrible time, you know, going to Orlando for six weeks, um, you know, playing in the bubble, uh, you know, and then coming back late in the summer to play in home markets with a reduced number of games and a, uh, you know, a contracted season and, a, and a, um, a congested playoff. So, you know, that was out of necessity too. Now this third one, Um, this is the league saying, hey, you know, we took a hard hit in 2020. We're going to take another hard hit in 2021. We need you guys to uh, discuss the labor agreement once again. And um, so this one, uh, this one's not, at least in the players' minds, is not out of uh, as much necessity as the first one.
1: It feels like the conversation yeah, yeah. is, is this about necessity or opportunism from the owner's side of things? Sure. Um, which which do you think it is?
2: Um, I imagine it's both. I mean, I, I think, you know, there's no doubt that MLS will not be able to fill stadiums um, in most markets, if not all markets, um, until... Who knows when? Midsummer, late summer, fall—we we just don't know. Um, and MLS is heavily uh, reliant on game day revenue. They do not have the t- national TV contract deals like the NBA, like the NHL, uh, NFL, etc. Um, they need people in the stands. Um, they need to sell tickets. They need to sell concessions, parking. Merchandise, everything else. TV only goes so far in MLS, so um, you know they are going to take a hard, uh, a hard hit this year, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, on the flip side of this, most, if not all, of MLS owners are very, very wealthy groups or people, so they have the money to do business. It's just a matter of um, whether they're willing to um, accept. Uh, losses over the course of another season so um yeah i mean I, i i get it i think the players get it too but um i think they feel like they're being pushed too far
0: Stephen, one of the things that i can't really understand or i'm having a hard time wrapping my head around in this agreement is the fact that it appears at least based on the reporting that the players aren't going to be taking a haircut in terms of salary so what are the sticking points for them then
2: Yeah, I mean, the league has said, you know, no pay cuts in 2021. But at the same time, there's a freeze on budgetary money. So they can't grow, players can't grow their um, income. And and the league is basically freezing spending on, on personnel. The other big thing, though, is MLS wants to extend the collective bargaining agreement by two years through 2027. That means Um, You know, the players cannot renegotiate um, terms for, you know, an extended two years. That's six years from now. It's a very long time. Um, And in that mix is the 2026 World Cup in the U.S., Canada, Mexico, um, at a time where um, soccer should gain a huge boost. And um, by consequence, the, the domestic league should grow as well. The players won't be able to reap the benefits of that until after uh, that World Cup is played and and the media rights are sold and everything else is going on. So, you know, the, the players are locked in. They've they've made counter proposals. They said, "Look, we'll we'll extend the CBA through 2026, not through 2027." Um, agreed to reductions in, um, you know, in other platforms that MLS uses, you know, they're trying to find a middle ground here. And that's the way negotiations work.
1: I was just going to say, um, Stephen, as, as we've seen in other leagues, you know, in the NHL, Gary Bettman has been very vocal about, you know, it's cheaper for us to not play. And sure. when the owners and the commissioner are saying something like that, it really puts the players backs up against a wall and being like, well, it's either not get paid at all or come to some form of an agreement.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I think the MLS owners are are prepared uh, for a lockout. Um, now, keep in mind, though, y- you know, this lockout would not occur um, while there's current activity going on. Training camps aren't supposed to open, aren't scheduled to open until February 22nd. Uh, so we have another three weeks um, before things really accelerate in preparation for the 2021 season, um, which is supposed to start in early April. Uh, so there is some more room here. I mean, MLS is saying, look, it's a h- another hard deadline this Thursday night They're there for lockout. That very well may occur, but um, they still have some time to strike a deal before camps are supposed to open. That's that's the big day, February 22nd. Of course, no one wants the lockout. Um, it looks bad, but um, a lockout this week would not interrupt current uh playing operations so there's you know there's some context necessary here
0: now steven there's been reports this weekend that josie altidor has requested a trade from tfc he is kind of he sent out kind of a cryptic tweet afterwards basically something the effect about you know <laughs> the devils at work today or whatever the devil went down yeah. to Georgia or whatever it did <laughs> Frankly, as someone who you know has followed TFC, one, it doesn't surprise me. Um, I think there's with Greg Vanny going here. There's it's understandable that some players are probably uh, thinking that there's going to be a bit of a changing of the guard. But two, yeah. how much? Where do you where do you think this goes, and where might Josie Altador fit?
2: A few months ago, um, I had heard that a, a Spanish club, for a La Liga club, I don't know who it was specifically mid-level, maybe lower level, La Liga, was interested in him, which is a little surprising given his given his age. Um, uh, you know, now I, I imagine that club is still interested. Um, you know, there's all kinds of rumors floating around about him going overseas. What level? Who knows? Would he be traded? I'm more inclined to think it's it's a transfer abroad more so than a trade, but I don't know the specifics there. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what his reasoning is. Uh, certainly the club has a has, is carrying a very big salary of his. That's a consideration. He's had a lot of injury issues. He uh, did not play for the U.S. last night. Out of precaution, combined with the fact that he's in these talks, Greg Berhalter held him out, figuring he might be on the move soon. So best not to play him. So, yeah, part of the intrigue of deadline day. And, uh, the MLS off
1: Josie is still a, a pretty great player and, mm-hmm. and all of that didn't have the greatest season last year. The injury troubles. I just can't imagine there's too many teams willing to pony up his salary, given, you know, the, yeah. the circumstances we're in.
2: It's a great point. Yeah. I, I don't see it, um, <laughs> but apparently there's someone out there or multiple teams out there that have some level of interest in him. Um, you know, uh, we'll, we'll wait and see how this plays out. Maybe he, he stays in Toronto for the start of the season. Uh, we'll see.
1: Steven Goff, our guest here on a kick in the grass. So uh, on the league and MLS, you know, we're seeing another young player, Brian Reynolds, uh, making his move today to, to AS Roma. Uh, we're seeing Weston McKenney have success there at Juventus. Uh, we've seen what Alfonso Davies has done. North America is starting to to get more prominent, I guess, in the top five European leagues. But as it is for MLS, how would you describe where MLS is right now, Stephen?
2: You know, in a way, it's become a it's starting to become that feeder league or, or entering the world soccer ecosystem in which you develop players or you watch the players' value rise. So you transfer them and and reap the financial benefits. Um, You know, just a a few minutes ago, FC Dallas announced the agreement with Roma for Brian Reynolds, a 19-year-old defender, to go over. It's a six-month loan, and and there'll be an option to buy. And, you know, we're seeing other players, a lot of other players head abroad. Um, You know, it's incumbent on MLS to continue to develop young players that are not only top performers in this league, but are appealing to clubs, big clubs, in in Europe. You know, it was unheard of a few years, not too long ago, for more than a few MLS-based players to head to a, a big five league in Europe. And now we're seeing a, t- a ton of them. Not only are they going to big five leagues, they're going to big clubs, and they're playing minutes, and, you know, they're scoring goals. So, you know, from a mainstream fan's perspective, it might be like, well, is MLS just a minor league feeder system for the big leagues? That's how soccer works worldwide. I mean, unless you're one of the major European leagues, all leagues are in this situation. You know, they're looking to to sell players and uh, and develop new ones and you know, build up their financial foundation for for the future. So it's part of the evolution of MLS, you know, welcome to the soccer world, MLS, because this is, this is how it works and um, they're fully engaged in it now.
1: And further to that, uh, looking ahead to the world cup, like what, where do we see MLS in five years? Is it just a progression of this and getting closer to, you know, reaching that top 10 league in the world, or maybe coming closer to the fringes of the top five?
2: Uh, Sure. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, selling players brings these financial rewards. Those financial rewards are poured back into the club for developing players, for buying quality players from overseas. Um, And, you know, slowly, gradually, MLS has reached this point. You know, right now, is MLS one of the top 10 leagues in the world? No, it certainly is not. Um, Is it getting there? Uh, Yeah. And I think you're, um, you know, as you see players in their prime come over, uh, you know, that's a good measure of, of where the league stands. They've been getting some older players from Europe, but they've also been getting some players in their prime from South America where, you know, players are more affordable certainly the quality is rising it's getting there but it's you know there's still a long way to go
1: steven we really appreciate your time today thank you
2: hey my pleasure anytime guys
1: there is steven goff jeff what do you think mls looks like by the time the 2026 world cup rolls around
0: Oh, I think its future is is terrific. I mean, the sports future is terrific in this in this country. It's really good in the United States, right? I mean, my God, there's a new generation of U.S. players who are just off the charts, and that was something that I think we really needed to see in order for the sport to flourish in North America, because for it to flourish in North America, it has to really flourish in the United States. I felt all along, Danny, that by the time the World Cup comes around and... Because of the united nature of the World Cup bid with Mexico, Canada, and the United States, I think we're going to eventually see a merger of uh, League MX and MLS. And you're going to see conferences split up. You're going to see teams from Mexico playing regularly against teams from MLS. I think we're going to see a true pan-North American League. And it may even happen before the World Cup. But to me, it's inevitable now. You know, the, you look at the MLS markets. There are a couple of markets that are wobbly. But by and large, they're pretty well entrenched. You know, they seem to have an idea of the MLS team seem to have an idea of how they can manage their finances. And I think the league is good enough right now that it could transition into a joint league and and survive with some large Mexican clubs like Club America or Guadalajara. Uh, But that to me is where this is going. And I don't think there's any doubt about that. We may even see that. We may even see that within the next four years.
1: Yeah, and you just see it in the way that some of the MLS clubs have competed in the Champions League. We saw what TFC did a couple of years ago, LAFC this year. And this is with a salary cap as well. Like, the League of MX teams don't, don't necessarily have that, and that's why Tigris has had so much success there. I know a lot of people ask me about expansion, like, oh, are they expanding too much? I mean, as a development league right now, the more professional environments you have, the better. Because mm-hmm. there's a ton of talent in this continent that just has never really been cultivated. And now you're starting to see that really take effect. And, you know, we're more than 25 years on from MLS first uh, set in foot after the 94 World Cup. And now you're you're starting to see the fruits of all the labor that's been going on. You have to keep building on that. You know, eventually you're going to have to shrink it, come up with some form of promotion relegation, especially if they merge with Liga MX. Some teams are going to have to drop out of that. So there is a lot to come, but yeah, I do see that MLS is, is really taking shape as something that could, I don't know how long we're talking. I know Garber and MLS think it's about 25 years down the line that they're uh, a top four league in North America and maybe competing as a top five league in the world uh, from a soccer perspective, but it's on track and nothing can really push it along other than time. As it will take a long while for it to get there. Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair, it is a kick in the grass. Coming up, we like to travel the globe and uh, shine a light on some Canadian players playing around Europe. And joining us next will be Matt Durrance of 1860 Munich, West Vancouver kid. Made his debut in Germany last month. We'll talk to him next on A Kick in the Grass. We are back in on a kick in the grass, and we like to take you around the globe and profile some Canadian soccer players playing around the world, and we now welcome into the show Matthew Durens of 1860 Munich, a West Vancouver kid. What's going on, Matt?
3: Hey, guys. How are you doing?
1: We're doing well. Thanks for this today. It's always good to hear from a player playing around the world. Uh, You've been in in Germany now for a few years, moved over there when you were a, a teenager. I mean, how's the journey been for you?
3: Yeah, it's been uh, it's been an incredible journey so far. Um, yeah, I moved here when I was fourteen and uh, came into the youth academy at 1860 Munich. Uh, had a fantastic experience um, being in the youth system here, and uh, and obviously now the last uh, three or four years in the men's leagues and learning a lot. And uh, I love I love being here in Munich and in Germany. It's a wonderful place.
0: One of the things that's really fascinated me about. Uh... German soccer in particular is the fact that, I think we had Alexi Lalas on talking about this, but he talked about how young American players go over there and have success. We're seeing young Canadian players go over there and have success. And he made the point that he thinks the Bundesliga, German soccer in particular, is more open to young players. The fans are more welcoming to young players, regardless of where they're from than maybe any other league did you, and you've been over there for a while now do you see that because it's you know just look look around at the number of young players in in, in german soccer in the bundesliga or any league and i mean they're from they're from everywhere
3: yeah absolutely you've seen a lot of uh in the recent uh, times a lot of uh young canadians and, and american players um having their own successes in in the top leagues um in Europe, in Germany, and in, in Spain, and Italy, and England, and uh, yeah, um, I guess it's just a bit of a change of times. I mean, I think there's quality in in North American soccer. Um, I think we have the fundamental basics and and and, and qualities uh, that uh, you know there's obviously good talents in in North America that can really make it over in Europe, and it's just a matter of uh, finding the opportunities and um, getting them over there.
1: What, what would you say, Matt, is, is the biggest difference from the coaching you had uh, in Canada? I mean, you were very young at the time, but yeah. what was the difference in focus that you could tell from, you know, your days in the Whitecaps Academy to a residency to what you saw when you joined 1860 Munich?
3: Yeah, it's a good question. I think, um, obviously, as you mentioned, I was quite young when I moved over at the age of 14. So, you know, my experiences here at a little bit of an older age, um, you know, I think that the uh, the tactical side of of how football is played in in Germany is a is something you really don't get anywhere else. That's uh, on both sides of the field. That's offensively, defensively. You know, the way the gegen press the the way you press. Um, you know, starting with the striker up front, uh, the way possession is played here, the way. Um, yeah, just tactically, I think also the the intensity is just in Germany is just very, it's just everything's played at a very high intensity. And um, I think those are some of the big, big differences I've noticed over the years. I mean, I've been here for, for a while, so I've gotten used to a lot of uh, a lot of things in the way football is played. Um, so, yeah. How
0: important is patience? When you're you know you're in the situation that you're in, you go over to Germany, mm-hmm. um you're competing for playing time against guys who maybe have come up in the system from a younger age. How important was just being patient and just kind of biding your time and waiting for opportunity been
3: yeah, patience was everything for me um you know there was it's been a long road for me, but I always at the end of the day, I believed in myself, even at times it was difficult for sure um yeah there was uh, you know so many so many times where there was you know ups and downs and highs and lows. but you know when I was at those low points or things maybe weren't going the way I wanted to them um, to for them to go, i just I just kept believing in myself and sort of trusted myself, trusted the people that supported me, my parents, you know my family and and everyone around me. and you know, just never lost that hope and that belief in myself. And I think a lot of people would have maybe given up. Well, I know a lot of people would have given up uh, before I did, for sure, and and so that's that's kind of where I am today.
1: It's a way of saying uh, the the Canadian kid's really got to earn his stripes in these academies, right?
3: Yeah, for sure. You get absolutely you get nothing. Uh, nothing's for free here. Um, you know, you have to earn your you know you have to earn your right to play, and uh, you you know it's you have to sometimes work twice as hard as as the as the kids that are from here because you know, cause you're a Canadian kid. And so, um, yeah, there was a lot of struggles in that sense, but, uh, but I pushed through and, uh, here I am. I
0: understand your career so far has very much been a family affair as well. Correct. I mean, your mm-hmm. mom and dad have been, have been super supportive yeah. of you. Maybe just to tell us a little bit of that. Cause sometimes I think, you know, we focus on the coaches and the trainers, et cetera, et cetera, but we overlook the role that, especially in young players, the role that parents play in getting their kids established.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from the get-go, my parents were there for me. We moved together, you know, back uh, when I was 14. And uh, I'll just be honest, I couldn't have done it without them. I know a lot of people say that, but I I literally couldn't have, <laughs> um, you know, at that age uh, for every reason that you could really think of. You know, I was I was even with them homesick. You know, I wanted to, you know, uh, just be at home and, and you know, saying bye to my friends and and sort of my life there at that age was difficult, even though I had a a dream and a goal. Um, Yeah, they were there with me every step of the way. And um, that pushes me even to this day, each and every day I wake up and, and I work hard. And I know that, uh, as you said, it was, you know, sort of a family, family ordeal. You know, it wasn't just me. It was, you know, everyone, my family was, uh, my parents were with me. Each, each step of the way so I have everything to thank you know to them.
1: What's the part of uh, German culture that you didn't know you'd fall in love with that's like just a, a part of your everyday life now?
3: Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, I'm i not sure I think I've just become so, so German now I don't even realize it myself. I <laughs> <laughs> can't really give you any uh, specifics on that to be honest with you.
0: What has this past year been like for you dealing with COVID-19, the protocols and things of that nature and just kind of having to navigate your way through that?
3: Yeah. Um, Yeah, for sure. It's been difficult for, you know, everyone. Um, I'm lucky to be in a situation where, where I can, uh, you know, still go out each and every day and train and, and, you know, compete and play games and sort of live the life I did before. Um, So I'm, very grateful and thankful for that. Um, I think about that quite a lot and, uh, and yeah, I mean, we've had to, we get tested two or three times a week. Um, there's obviously lots of rules and and regulations you have to, you have to continuously, um, you know, follow, but, uh, yeah, it's been a year in the football world, um, which, you know, in the grand scheme of things, maybe isn't the biggest, the, the biggest worry right now, but, Obviously, the big uh, the big thing without the fans and the supporters being in the stadiums or at the training grounds watching watching training matches. You know, the especially for a club like 1860 Munich, it's it's got an incredibly you know fantastic fan base. Um, you know, so I think that's been obviously the toughest thing for for the players and you know for the fans and the people who support the club.
1: Matt, it's been a pleasure catching up with you. Uh, We wish you all the best,
3: and uh, we'll be catching up soon, hopefully. Sounds good, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate you.
1: There is Matthew Durens of uh, 1860 Munich. Always good to catch up with players playing around the world. Uh, Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair coming up. uh, What happened in the Premier League this weekend? Lionel Messi's contract, and you don't know what you're doing. Maybe a thought on Jose Mourinho.
0: Just maybe, just maybe, maybe
1: <laughs> it is a kick in the grass. Back in on a kick in the grass. It is Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair. Uh, it wouldn't be a premier league weekend without a uh, board draw from some of the bigger clubs. Jeff <laughs> Manchester United, another nil nil uh, this time against arsenal they're really making a habit of this uh, the problem is when you lose to sheffield united midweek you maybe have to do your best to get the three points afterwards
0: that game was that game was absolutely absolutely abysmal um <laughs> from from united and it look it just reinforces i think based on what we've seen so far it really does reinforce that this title i think is now man City's to lose i don't think there's any doubt about it uh you know pep guardiola seems to have it's odd it's almost as if with his resources diminished, he's figured things out. You know, it's almost as if not having Aguero and and being a little shy at striker, it's kind of allowed him to, I think, make better use of some of his attacking players elsewhere. And I mean, the real thing too is, again, I would argue right now that that is the best defense in the Premier League with DS and Stone and, and Cancelo and Ederson. I just, I think you're going to see Man City go in a bit of a, of a run here. We'll know this weekend, right? They've got Liverpool. But I think you're going to see Man City go on a run, and United's going to be fine. But yeah. they had to win; they had to win that match. And you know, coupled with what we saw against Sheffield United, and I understand Ole you know, has come out today and said that, you know, he has received the uh, match officials report, and they made a couple of errors that cost Manchester United against Sheffield United. But come on, you have to win that match if you're Man City.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry, they, if you're they,
0: Manchester United,
1: they've had their fair share of decisions go their way (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, in in the last little while uh, with uh, the 700 penalties Bruno Fernandez has scored uh, in the last 12 months Uh, but yeah you're right about City man I mean 13 goals against goals conceded this year it's by far the best in the division I don't think anybody else is fewer than uh, twenty um in the top flight. So it's really been uh, all that money they've spent on center backs through the years under Pep Guardiola. What is it like half a billion dollars? Yeah, they've uh, they've finally figured it out. And Diaz and Stone have been really really strong. And they're not scoring a ton. It's not you know the hundred plus goal city that we saw from last year. It's really just come down to how solid they are. And I think that speaks to what you said in that. Uh, Guardiola has figured out how to manage his squad with fewer resources than arguably he's ever had there at Man City. Now, one of the huge stories over the weekend was broken by El Mundo, and apparently they're uh, they're hearing from Barcelona's lawyers now. But uh, they broke or they released the details of Lionel Messi's contract that he signed in 2017. Uh, over 500 and. 50 million euros the total value of the contract 138 million euros per season Uh, there's a bunch of performance bonuses that may not be hit of course Barcelona players accepted a pay cut last year as well so uh, he didn't end up getting the full value of this contract but it is and was at the time the largest contract in pro athlete history I just think this is such odd timing that this comes out into the public, Jeff. And I guess everybody's trying to do their best Detective Columbo and figure out how it got public. Am I the only one that doesn't care?
0: (laughs) Pretty much, yes. Because, look, uh, WikiLeaks three years ago, uh, the investigation that was done in by uh, the—oh, I'm going to draw a blank now—by the journalist in Europe. It basically said that it basically gave us the outline of Messi's contract, maybe not down to the last cent the way this did. But is there anybody out there surprised that he's getting half a billion dollars in this? I mean, I'm, I'm just not, I don't, I don't understand the outrage. Uh, <laughs> the timing is certainly, I guess, of significance, given the fact that given everything that's going on in Barcelona. and and Well, they
1: they just announced over a billion dollars in
0: debt, right? And
1: then this drops. And so people are pointing the finger at Messi saying he should be, he shouldn't be uh, making this much money if he loves the club so much. Well, I think that's a stupid take, but uh, that's the way people perceive it. Yeah,
0: but uh, whatever. Again, if I had told you three years ago that Lionel Messi was the highest paid pro athlete in the world, You'd probably go, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'll tell you what. I have less of an issue with him getting that money than I do with Patrick Mahomes getting half a billion dollars. I really do. I mean, Messi's done more than Mahomes. So I don't – I understand that everything that happens to Barcelona is drama. uh, But come on. There cannot be a human being out there who is surprised at that dollar figure. Given what we know about sports, I, you know, I find it the least – Honest to God, Danny, the least surprising, least meaningful sports story of 2021 so far. I really do.
1: I'll say this: um, Barcelona is not over a billion dollars in debt because of Lionel Messi. <laughs> They're also the largest revenue club in the world, probably because of Lionel Messi. Exactly. Maybe they sh- shouldn't have spent so much on uh, on bad transfers like Antoine Griezmann and Usman Dembélé and countless countless others. Uh, all right, uh, our Premier League fantasy uh, Finno the minnow with the big score of Ugh. the week seventy two points he had uh, clean sheet from Emiliano Martinez in goal. What a crap
0: week. In general, <laughs> this is this is like the crappiest <laughs> fantasy week in the history of fantasy sports. Especially if yeah. you captain Son. Come on, yeah, not not great,
1: Jeff. You only had thirty four <laughs> points, but F- Finno the minnow with seventy two points. He had Mo Salah and Patrick Bamford uh, leading the lines. For his squad, if you want to join PPIBD6, uh, head over to PremierLeague.com, hit the fantasy tab. That is our league code. Biggest score of each week gets a shout out here on a kick in the grass. And there's still All plenty.
0: Right. Of, there's still plenty of time to catch Dan in the fantasy league, by the way. So. Oh
1: man, that that should be everybody's challenge. just like if you can <laughs> if you can get ahead of me. I know a few people that joined late and they're still way ahead of me now, but uh, that's neither here nor there. I'm having a tough year. Okay. I added Patrick Bamford this leak and then left him on my bench. Uh, That just goes to show how smart I am. Uh, All right. We close out the show with uh, the new segment. It is you don't know what you're doing. I love it. Oh, it's so good. New producer, uh, Derek Brando, putting that together. Well, I, I'm pointing my finger at Jose Mourinho, Jeff. Come uh, on, you're I stealing I'm... it from me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go ahead, because I, I want to hear it from you.
0: No, uh, look, I I mean, uh, Jose seems to have this idea that you can play the same way against Brighton as against every other club. Um, you know, he didn't get it right this weekend. And, and one thing that really is really bothered me is his use of Gareth Bale. I don't think Gareth Bale's any good. But you know what? All we hear from Josie Mourinho is he's training well, he's training well. He's training. Give him a 90-minute run out. That would have been the perfect game to leave him out for 90 minutes and then come to conclusion on him. I, I just don't see how you can come to a conclusion about Gareth Bale you know, 60 minutes into a match where you're not getting any service from the midfield. Um, this is a perfect time to find out what he is because you don't have Harry Kane. You have no Mm -hmm. confidence in Carlos Vinicius, so leave him out there, man. Like, I just, I I couldn't, I didn't see what he was doing. There are times I don't like what Jose Mourinho does, but I understand why he's trying to do it. And you kind of shrug your shoulders and say, okay, that's him. But this made no sense.
1: I still don't know why he's uh, left Dele Alli frozen out of the squad, especially with some of the injuries that they've had. That club is just dying for somebody in the center of midfield to have an ounce of creativity. Sometimes they get it from Lo Celso, but they just, I can't see how a 24-year-old Dele Alli with all the talent that he has is being frozen out of the squad. And now I'm wondering, you know, if I've been duped again by Mourinho, because I probably have. His arrogance seems to be showing and it's showing up in the results. For spurs of late you can always uh, send in a suggestion for you don't know what you're doing or you're not fit to wear the shirt at danricho underscore and at sn jeff blair our dms are open you can always send questions for the show there as well as always thank you for listening back next monday on a kick in the grass